Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, it's good to have Sister Raquel and Brother Stan and everybody else back. Amen. I got all happy when I saw that big old red truck sitting out there. It ain't the same when you ain't around, brother. <laughs> Amen. But everybody held down the fort till the man of God came back. But there's a special blessing when God's servants in the house. You know? It's hard to find good pastors today, and I thank God for Brother Stan and for the whole staff here. You guys are really blessed, and I'm blessed, and our family is blessed to be part of this church. Amen? We've had some good results on the internet already. We put a message up, or someone did, for, for us, and uh, apparently they're really blessed, I guess. <laughs> so we're getting people talking about the messages and... So, yeah, they sent me some emails of some people that had already been uh, commenting on uh, what God's doing here. So we're really happy about that. Amen? If you have your Bibles, would you open them, please, to Numbers, the book of Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book in your Bible. Amen. I know you all spend a lot of time in the book of Numbers, so just bear with me. <laughs> Praise God. You know, uh, I've been reading some uh, commentaries by the rabbis recently, and uh, I finally understood what Jesus meant when he said they strain at a gnat and they swallow a camel. I, uh, I was reading a particular passage of scripture, and, and it said, and the Lord said... And they spent 26 pages discussing the word and. And. <laughs> so, so I thought about the Lord. Man, Lord, you were right. They strain at a gnat and, and omit the weightier things of the law. But anyway, crazy. Are you guys happy this morning or are we at a funeral? My God. Might be after this message, I guess. Huh? Praise God. <laughs> Lord help us. Hallelujah. Are you there? The book of Numbers? Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's start with uh, chapter 11. We'll get on the devil with a short stick and knock him out this morning. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Numbers chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. And when the people complained... When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll just stop right there. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we need Brother Dave for that one. Amen. It displeased the Lord. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Hallelujah. All right. Don't get mad at me. So when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and Moses prayed unto the Lord, and the fire was quenched. Thank God for our heavenly Moses, who intercedes for us. And he called the name of the place Taberah because the fire of the Lord had burnt among them. Now listen to this. This is after that. This, this happens like 
the next day. It says, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna in front of our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof was the color of bdellium. And the people went out and gathered it. They ground it in mills, or they beat it in a mortar. They baked it in pans, and they made cakes of it. The taste of it was like the taste of fresh oil. And in the book of Exodus, it says it tasted like uh, honey, like a wafer dipped in honey. But it was fresh oil. <laughs> and when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Can you say amen? We're going to preach just for a few moments tonight, manna before our eyes. Uh, this morning, manna before our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your people which are gathered here and those that are listening around the world by way of the internet. We thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. Help us to lift up and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, to glorify him, that the Father may be glorified, O Lord God Almighty. We give you praise and thanks that the devil is defeated, and we worship you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul did, that everything that happened to the children of Israel was meant to be an example to us. And so we do ourselves a disservice when we don't read half the Bible. Because it, it's in there that we will begin to understand our relationships with God. Because he put the types, the shadows, the allegories, instructional things by their behavior that we can learn from. Now, the Bible tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That everything from Genesis to Revelation speaks about the Lord. Even the Apostle Paul, when describing the rock in the wilderness that, that Moses hit, he said Jesus was that rock that the water flowed out of. So bear that in mind as we go into this this morning, and we'll see what the Lord does. We won't be long, but there's some very interesting things here. I wanted to go somewhere else this, this morning, but the Lord kept putting this on my heart. So I pray that, uh, that it ministers to you, and somewhere you will find yourself in here. You will. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. So I began to think and meditate upon this, that we have to understand that when we begin our journey with Christ, the Bible teaches us that it, it is as when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. Now, if you know the story of the Exodus, you know that the children of Israel had come under an incredibly hard hand and Pharaoh was their taskmaster. They were in slavery, forced to build, forced to work, in bondage, no freedom. Hmm? Now, Pharaoh is a type of the devil. The devil had you in his clutches 
if you are saved, he had you in his clutches. If you're not saved, you better get saved. But he had you in his clutches. And you lived a life in bondage or in slavery to the passions of your mind, your flesh, your body, to the other things that, that, that drove you in certain directions. Without joy, without hope in the world, Paul would say. Without any hope. Strangers from the covenants and the promises of God. But something began to happen. The Bible says that after the, the, the bondage became so great that the children of Israel began to cry out. And in essence, as the Lord was ministering it to me, that is how it was before we got saved. We reached a point in our own lives, if you're truly saved, <laughs> we reached a point or you reached a point, I reached a point in my life where I began to say, you know, I'm tired of living like this. I'm tired of going back to the same old thing every single day. And it's as if I don't even have control over my life. Something began to happen to me where I began to cry out from my heart. There's got to be more than this. There has to be more than this. And so the Bible says that God heard their cries. That's exactly what happened to you and me. The spirit of the Lord heard your cry, the cry of your heart the meditation of your mind, the longing truly from the inside of you to be free. Hello. And so what happened was that God sent Moses to them to bring them out. But as you know, the story, the Bible tells us that that the children of Israel were not let go easily. Hello. <laughs> it's not enough to just have the desire to be free. Don't think that the devil who's been with you for so long is just going to let you go. Because Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And, and so God begins the process and began the process in my life, your life, those of you listening by way of the Internet. It began the process of bringing you out. That's why some of you, you have loved ones and you wonder, will they ever get saved or will they ever be free? And sometimes you see something cool happening in their life, like they're going to be free, and then they end up being just what you don't want them to be, and it seems like they're getting worse, and then there's other times where they're a little bit up here, and then they're not. Well, what's happening? That's the salvation process reaching to them. You'll see a little bit of hope, and then you won't. You'll see a dope, not a hope, you know? Because <laughs> it's really stupid to stay in Egypt, man, I'm telling you, you know, but... Uh, <clears throat> But see, that's why, that's why when you read in the Bible that, that God had to send 10 plagues before they'd let them go. The devil fights hard to let you go, to let me go. And he did fight very hard. And he's fighting hard over our communities, fighting hard over our lives. He's fighting hard over our children, our marriages, whatever it may be, your lost loved ones. He fights hard not to let them go. There's many reasons for that, but we'll keep going. So... Uh, we know the story at, by the end of it, just in order for them to be let free, they, they had a revelation of the lamb, right? Because it was a lamb that God instructed Moses to kill, a spotless lamb, without blemish, clean, pure, holy. That lamb we now know represented the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that, that John the Baptist, are you awake? The Bible tells us that John the Baptist, <laughs> we're still loading the bus, I can feel it. <laughs> the Bible tells us that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said what? Behold the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin 
of the world. Well, that lamb in the Exodus was the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say? You would have to slay that lamb. You would have to pour out the blood of that lamb. And then they would take the blood and they would apply it to the doorpost of their house. And he said, everybody on the inside of the house that has the blood on the outside of the house will be safe as I pass through Egypt. Do you have the blood applied to your life? Amen. It was the shedding of blood that night that allowed them to go free. See, as much as the devil tries to hold on to you or to me, if you come to the cross of Calvary, come on, somebody. If you embrace the blood of Jesus Christ, our heavenly lamb, fight as he might, as hard as he's fought, as hard as he fought over you, he could not keep you from the blood of Jesus Christ. He could not prevent you from going free once you applied the blood to your life. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. The devil isn't afraid of your religious exercises. The devil ain't afraid of how much scripture you know. The devil ain't afraid of all the multiple things that we do religiously. What he's afraid of is the blood of Jesus Christ because that's what destroyed him. That's what broke his power. That's what set us free. Hallelujah. You can do better than that, my God. Hallelujah. He set me free. He set me free. Hallelujah. And they came out. With a mighty hand. That's what happened when you came out. The Bible says they came out and they were full of joy. After having been in bondage all that time. They finally knew the rarefied breath of freedom and, and freedom from slavery. Freedom from sin. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from depression. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from everything that had bound them in Egypt. That night they walked out with the fragrant smell of a roasting lamb in their nose. Full of the Holy Ghost. God let them out and they headed their way. Hallelujah. And there was nothing that Pharaoh could do about it. So that's how we are. We set out. We're happy. We're free. We're saved now. But then something happens. And we wonder why. We don't understand it. But it's the process of God. See, he led them out. And he had promised, I'm going to take you to a land, a promised land. Amen. We're all promised that we're heading to heaven. <laughs> And so we head out, we're happy, we're free. And that's what salvation is like. We, we experience that joy, that happiness, that, that freedom for the first time in my life. I, I mean, the trees, are, the leaves are greener, the, the flowers smell pretty, I mean, the sky is blue. I mean, I start noticing stuff I ain't never noticed before. <laughs> Didn't have time to notice it. I was, I was too much under the whip of the devil. There's no joy in the world. <laughs> How's that song go? This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, hallelujah. Just bear with me. I'm having fun this morning. Amen. So, so they walk out. They're free. They're blessed. But see, there was a few people amongst them, too. There were some Egyptians with them. Hmm? Them, them, them are like those things that still are hanging around our life after we get saved. We just read it. The mixed multitude was among them. 
See, just because you got saved don't mean you ain't going to have any problems anymore. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> Contrary to popular preaching today, where everything's just, you know, awesome and I'm, you know, blessed coming in, blessed going out. I got a checkbook full of money and, you know, I got a trophy wife and three perfect kids and nothing ever goes wrong for me. What life are you living? <laughs> my God, are you kidding me? It ain't, it might, you might, but it ain't, don't really happen that way for 99.9% .9 of us. And it didn't happen for them. They came out, and they came, and they were free. But then suddenly something happens. They, they come up against the Red Sea. You know the story, right? Suddenly an impassable object. They had to stop. And the Bible tells us that Pharaoh, who represents the devil, he kind of comes to his senses and says, what have we done? Why did we let him go? So he suited up himself with his armor, got his best chariots and horses and his army, and he pursued after them to go kill them and to bring back uh, the ones that weren't dead, to bring them back. That's what he's doing to you, to me, to you listening. You wonder why you're struggling. You even question whether you really got saved because now you're, you're, you're feeling the heat and, and you hear the sound of the hoof beats and, and the rocks crushing underneath the wheels of the chariot of the devil. <laughs> he's coming after you. So he's already there, Brother Marty. Well, before this is over today, you'll be free again. See, because they didn't just say there at the Red Sea, God did a marvelous thing. Hallelujah. He didn't bring you out to kill you. That joy you felt, it wasn't fake. That, 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 that presence and that, that peace you had, that was real. But now you question in your mind, why am I up against this Red Sea? And I feel like the devil's just nipping at my heels and I'm trying with all my might, you know, and I'm afraid. If I could really express myself, I'm afraid. Because I don't want to go back. It cost me too much. Maybe I, and then the devil started telling you, well, you just got caught up in the emotionalism of the preaching of Moses and Aaron. It was just an emotional thing. You ought to go back to where you belong. You know you can't. I mean, look, you're right here now, and you, you hear Pharaoh coming after you. I mean, who do you really, I mean, it wasn't real. It's designed to make you question your experience with God. He's trying to get us to think that, 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 that what we have with God isn't real. And the obstacle comes for two reasons. One, to show us that the same way we got saved, which was not through our own effort, but by faith, right? I believe what the Lamb did for me. Jesus said, if you've seen me and believe, you will have everlasting life. I saw him. I believed. I was saved. That's the truth. But the pressure comes, and the devil will try to get you to question whether that choice, that decision was really real. And it's so interesting because these people who were set free were set free after 10 incredible demonstrations by the power of God. Remember that. It wasn't just some kind of, I mean, he turned the entire Nile River to blood. 
He sent flies. He sent frogs. He sent locusts that ate all the crops. He sent hail fire from heaven down on Egypt. What are you talking about, Brother Mark? Because it happened so long ago, and we are so far removed from that history, we don't realize the demonic power that was flowing through Pharaoh. He's a type of Satan himself. The Bible says God sent darkness that was so dark you could almost feel it. You could feel the darkness. Maybe you went through a darkness in the soul of your life before you got saved. Maybe like the locusts that consumed everything in the crops of Egypt, so your life feels like it's surrounded and everything's being consumed around you little by little, and you know you're going down. <laughs> but never fear, our heavenly Moses is here. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. So he brings you to the Red Sea so that, one, you'll realize I can't go forward in my own strength. The same miracle that brought me out of slavery, the same miracle that freed me from the devil, uh, he wants us to, to reflect on that and not, not cry out or freak out or, or, or crumble. He wants us to cry out and say, oh, God, who saved me, God, deliver me. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Deliver me. Deliver me. And, and so what happens? Uh, what does he have Moses do? He says, see that rod, that stick in your hand? Hallelujah. What is that stick? That's the cross. Hallelujah. That's the cross of Calvary. It was the cross that saved them. It's the cross that would deliver them. It's the cross that saved you. It'll be the cross in the blood of Jesus Christ that, that delivers you and me. Hallelujah. He said, hold out that stick over the water. My God. Hallelujah. And what happened? The Bible says that, that, that a supernatural occurrence happened. That God himself broke out of the dimension of eternity, came in the form of a pillar of fire, and stood between the people of Israel and Pharaoh's army. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He stands between you and the devil. He will fight for you. He only wants you to cry out to him, but he will fight for you. So there's the pillar of fire blocking their way. They came and they couldn't, they couldn't go forward. The fire of God prevented it. Moses is holding out the rod, and the Bible says an east wind came and blew all night. What is that, Brother Marty? That's the Holy Spirit, like the day of Pentecost, right? There was a sound from heaven like what? A mighty rushing wind. Same wind. Hallelujah. Isn't it interesting? Fire showed up in the upper room. Same fire. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody ought to get happy in this house. There is nothing impossible for your God. Hallelujah. 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 And so he holds out a type of the cross. You've got the wind, the Holy Spirit blowing. You've got the fire of God, God himself, the Father, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all there. Yes. 
And what does it do? Parts the Red Sea. The Bible says they went over on dry land, almost two million of them, with chariots, I mean, carts full of stuff, because God gave them all the silver and the gold. You know the story? Well, God's a thief. Oh, come on, somebody. They worked for almost 400 years for free. They owed them a big payday. Hallelujah. The devil owes you a big payday. Come on, somebody. He owes you a big payday. What are you talking about? Peace that passes under. I never had peace, but I got a big peace payday coming. I never had joy, but I got a big joy payday. Oh, you don't hear what I'm telling you. Hallelujah. They were the first Pentecostals. What are you talking about, Brother Mike? Well, if you read your Bible, they got over on the other side. Miriam breaks out a tambourine. All the women start dancing. Moses, that 80-year-old man, starts singing. Everybody's shouting. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. My God. They had a camp meeting, the first camp meeting. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love that song you guys were playing this morning. The Holy Ghost is moving. I get that. I bet you that's what they were saying. The Holy Ghost is moving in. That's all right. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Hallelujah. He saves you. He delivers you. He baptizes you. That was symbolic of them leaving their old life behind. That's what that water was all about. And those demonically possessed Egyptians who went after them, those are like the demonic spirits that held you all your life, that try to trouble you. They... They got drowned underneath that water. See, God baptizes you out of the world, Egypt, and then begins the journey of separating you. And those waters covered it all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm glad the waters cover it all. I'm glad he washed away my sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They come over on the other side, and, and they begin dancing, they begin shouting, and they set out. They've been saved. They've been delivered. They've been baptized. And now they're in a wilderness. Strange. Ain't nothing around. Just them. Moses. He takes them out because he wants to remove all the distractions from their lives. Because he wants to have a conversation with them. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. See, we try to fill ourselves with so many things because we, we're afraid to be alone and be silent. But it's just the opposite. God wants to silence things around us so he can talk to us. See, we all want to get, we want to get saved, we want to get delivered, we want to get baptized, and then we want to go to the promised land. Huh? But God says that's not the progression of your salvation. Because there's a lot of things that this old wilderness is going to reveal to you about you that need to be dealt with. 
And if I was to let you go and walk into the fullness of what I have for you, all bound by all kinds of different things that afflict you, what a mess that would be. And truth be known, you'd be defeated by the bigger devils that you don't even know exist in that promised land. Uh-huh. So they come out. He separates them, and they begin to... After, if you can read it later, but it's a, it's a, they have this giant camp meeting, and then three days later, they're complaining. Hmm? Three days. That's all it took. Three days. You know what this tells me? That as much as I enjoy the relationships of, of, of camp meetings and great times in the Lord and stuff, as wonderful as that is to rejoice in, that ain't enough to keep you in your walk with God. It's a daily walk. So he brought them out. He brings them into a desert where there's no distractions. Again, what's the problem? Well, <laughs> it's not like they could just drive up to Vaughn's and go buy some groceries. And what was, what was the good of having all that silver and gold anyway? says they came out of Egypt with all the silver and all the gold. Well, where were they going to spend it? There was no 7-Elevens next to Mount Sinai. <laughs> I mean, what was their provision for? As you read the scripture, you'll find out it was the very thing that he gave to them to give to him. To do what? To build his tabernacle. To build a place, a sanctuary for him. That's what our blessings are for. But the sanctuary now is us. Yeah. So they come out and they begin to complain. And you can read the rest of it, so forth and so on. They were only two months away from going to Mount Sinai. Two months, that's all. So he brought them out, isolates them. He isolates you and me. Well, number one, he's got to get all this other stuff that we've just been involved with in Egypt. He's got to get it all away. He's got to throw it all away. He's got to destroy it all so that he can, he can get us to, to stop long enough to where he can talk to us and we can talk to him. And, and we can begin to see that Egypt is more than just an, an external thing. It's an internal thing. What do you mean, Brother Marty? You might do a good job of showing off your religious muscles, you know, in church and stuff, on the outside. But what do you like on the inside? Because that's where God wants to dwell. Now, so they complain. They're two months away from Sinai. You know the story. Moses goes up to Sinai. He comes down with two tables of the law, of the Ten Commandments. And while he's gone, these, these people... <laughs> Our brothers and sisters. <laughs> Imagine this. God comes down on a cloud on Mount Sinai. The Bible says the earth shook. There's fire. Trumpets are blowing. Lightning. And Moses goes up there. He says, I'll be back. A couple million of them camped at the mountain with their tents looking at this. And they get bored. So Moses has been gone for a long time. 40 days. 
And while he's gone, they decide that they're going to build a golden calf and have a party. That's exactly what they did. They built a golden calf. Uh, they built a representative of the gods of Egypt that they had just been delivered from. The wilderness exposed to them that even though they had been freed physically from bondage, the truth is the bondage was in their heart because their heart was still back there. There was something on the inside of them that they couldn't be rid of, and the wilderness exposed it. And even in the presence of God, in a way that you and I ain't never seen it, <coughs> I mean, it's an, it's an awesome sight to see. God himself comes into the dimension of the earth, rests his presence on the mountain, shakes it, tells him, don't let nobody touch this mountain because this mountain's holy because I'm here. Moses says, I'm going up, and I'll be back. I'm going to go talk to him. He's going to tell me something that I got to tell you. See, God brings you out in order to reveal his word to you. But his word don't come instantly. It's a progressive thing, like the sister was saying today, by the presence of the Lord on her life, line upon line, precept upon precept. But while they waited, they got bored. They didn't maintain. I, now, I would like to think <laughs> that I would have been so, <laughs> so holy. <laughs> How could they do such a thing? I've done such a thing. Oh, Brother Marty, you? Oh, yeah. I know I, I'm, I look like an angelic cherub, but. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't always so, Joe. I mean, I wasn't always this holy. So. Uh, <laughs> saved, baptized, delivered. Building a golden calf. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately. So he comes down and he sees they're at play, doing horrible, unspeakable things, and he breaks the tablets. Two months, it had only been two months since they had been free. So don't think it's strange that when you get saved, you, got, you go through stuff right away. How you respond to it yeah. will determine how long it takes you to reach the beginning of your destiny in God, because each and every one of us has been born for a purpose, a powerful purpose. Pick up the story and I'll hurry. Numbers 11. Lots of stuff's happened. They built the tabernacle. God's now dwelling in their midst. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Every time two silver trumpets are blown, you can read that in chapter 10, they go and they move. And then when the cloud appears again, that's where they camp. They set up the tabernacle. God dwells in the midst of them. God desires to dwell in the midst of us. But you see, it says something interesting here in verse 1. And it won't be long. We'll just highlight some things. And maybe we'll preach it again a few weeks from now or something. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. See, you always view God as this big ogre who wants to beat us up. But my God, no people in the history of the planet to this day has ever seen the display that the father did some four or 5,000 years ago in Egypt. 
It's not like they just had a few Holy Ghost goosebumps. They saw the power of God. They heard his voice. They heard the sound of his trumpets. They saw him pierce into our dimension, this earthly dimension from his heavenly dimension. There's no excuse. What excuse do we have? So it says by this time, now this is two years into it now. They should have already been in the promised land. What have we done that has prevented us from going on and becoming all that we were meant to be? And if you have messed up, get it right. Wherever you are right now, just get it right. Ask him to cleanse you. Truly repent. Walk away from that thing. Ask him for his strength. Ask him for his presence. Ask him for his spirit. And he will give it to you. But they began to complain. And that word in the Hebrew means this. They were looking for an excuse to go back. That's what the word complains mean. So when you read where it says that it displeased the Lord, that's King James. For He was totally angry, man. I mean, after everything I did to bring you out, after every display of my power, after the fire that I protected you with and the waters that I destroyed demonic powers in your life with, and, and then how I have brought you through all this time, and now I'm feeding you day by day with my presence, with my spirit, with my manna. And all you can say in your heart, and I can hear it, is, is maybe Egypt wasn't so bad after all. My God. So he hears it. And, and notice what it says here. Uh, he heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. What does that mean, Brother Barney? That means that every area of our life, every aspect of our life, spirit, soul, and body, every part of our life is vital and important to God. So even if you think it's a little thing and it's really not on the interior of you or truly something, but it's, it's out there and you haven't gotten rid of it, it will be the very thing that hooks you and begins to reel you back toward Egypt. That's what they represented. And, and, and the fire of the, it takes the fire of the Lord to destroy it. The Holy Ghost and fire. Let him burn out the chaff of your life. So then and they called the place, place of burning, so forth and so on. But then it says in verse 4, Numbers 11, 4, the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. Those are those folk that came out with them. Who do you hang around? Who do you fellowship with? Or what about your television set? What is it that you're letting go into your eyes all the time? Or in those God-forsaken movie houses. Now I'm old-fashioned, brothers. Now I tell you, I'm old-fashioned, man. <laughs> oh, my God. You all love me now. I know. Well, Paul said it this way, happy is the man whose heart condemns him not in the thing which he allows. The, the wonderful intercessor David Brainerd said, if you wonder about it, get rid of it. That's all I'll say. <laughs> but the mixed multitude, the things that get in our lives, the things that mingle amongst our thoughts, our minds, our heart, they're the very things that begin to war against the very spirit that's on the inside of you. And that's what happened here. The mixed multitude, what happens? It transfers over to the children of Israel, right? In verse 4, the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. 
And then what? And then it says, and the children of Israel wept again. And then what does it say? And uh, what did they say? Who shall give us flesh to eat? Oh, my God. It's a lot here. I'll just let you all. <laughs> but look what the problem was. Verse uh, 5, what does it say? The first two words. We remember. And then they go down this little list here, and they begin to like, ah, I remember how I used to hang out with the boys, man. It was fun, man. I just, you know, this church thing's good and all, but, man, I had fun. I'm so bored now. I had fun. Really? Throwing up at 3 in the morning at, at the only time you ever prayed was, oh, God, oh, God, blah, oh, God, help me, blah. It's the only time you ever prayed. Oh, but it was fun. Hooked on the pipe. All you can think about, all you can do is think about, where am I going to get my next this or that? Another drink. Where am I going to get my next drink? Suddenly your mind is consumed and you forgot how far you've come. You forgot the freedom that you now so take for granted that you enjoy and the peace that's in your life because Jesus is with you. But now that ain't enough. The manna ain't enough. <laughs> so he says, look at, look, we remember. That, that's the first thing that you need to really be careful of. Uh, as you begin to go down, check your mind. What are you thinking of? What are you dwelling on? What are you focused on? Oh, I remember. Come on. What do you remember? Oh, the fish that we ate in Egypt freely. Freely? Really? Have they lost their mind? There was nothing free about it. Was <laughs> there? They were slaves. But you see how the devil will do you? Yeah, everything was cool. Everything was free. No, it wasn't free. It cost you your life. It cost you your happiness. It cost you your freedom. Every nerve ending in your body crying out for another line of crystal meth. It cost you everything. Free my eye. We remember the fish. We remember how we ate it freely. Really? What a lie. They were enslaved. They weren't eating nothing for free. Listen to this. The cucumbers. God. The cucumbers. How the devil wants to minimize God and bring him down to a cucumber. Unbelievable. What will you exchange for the joy that you have, for the peace that you have, for the salvation that you're enjoying, for the spirit you've been walking in? A cucumber? A melon? So it's a watermelon. I love watermelon, but not that much. Not enough to go back to Egypt for it. <laughs> the leeks, the onions, the garlic. What does this all represent, Brother Martin? The, the, the melons... And the cucumbers have water in them, right? But very little water. So the devil will think 
or try to impart into us an idea that just a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I can, I can slake the thirst of my worldly soul with a little water. But you're always thirsty. And it requires you going back there. Don't you remember? You were never satisfied in the world. There wasn't anything about it that satisfied you. You didn't even know how bound you were until someone like the Holy Spirit came and said, there's another way. So little bits of water. That's what the devil wants to entice you with. Little bits of this and little bits of that. But it, it doesn't last. Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me, and I will give him living water. And the water that I give him shall be in him, the Holy Ghost, springing up, hallelujah, to everlasting life. He shall never thirst again. Not no cucumber and melon. Imagine Jesus stood up in the temple, if any man thirst, let him come unto me, and I'll give him a watermelon. Really, Lord? All right, I think I'll move on to the next Messiah. All right. All right. So. <laughs> the leeks, the onions, the garlic, what is that? Those are things that we use for flavor. See? Oh, it tastes good in the world. It tastes good in Egypt. No, it don't. No, it don't. So. And so. They have now reached the point, verse 6, where their, their relationship and all they've seen has been cut off. And now they're saying what? My soul is dried away. And there's nothing at all beside this manna in front of my eyes. To reduce Jesus to a lower state than Egypt? And the fish out of the Nile that turned to blood? And then the melons and the onions? All I got is this manna. Have we, have we so taken for granted his provision? See, he's working overtime. Let's finish with this. Look, look about the man. And then it's interesting because the Holy Spirit has Moses pin this in verse 7. He goes right. He describes what they're like. And then he goes right into describing the manna. Because he doesn't want us to think that the manna ain't worth nothing. And so he begins to tell us. You want to see how great this manna was, he says? He says, uh, the manna was like a coriander seed. It's round. And he says, and the color of it is like the color of bdellium or crystal, clear, pure. It's pure. It's beautiful and pure, he said. And then he said, so, so what is it? He's saying they're rejecting this fullness, and they're rejecting the purity of it all, the holiness of it all. And he says, he says, all the people had to do, the people went about and gathered it. That's all they had to do. He said, it wasn't like I was requiring 1,700 rules before they could enjoy my presence. All they had to do was wake up and exert the effort to go out and gather it, gather it, as much as they could eat for that day. It would never run out for the day. That's all they had to do was pick it up. But instead, they were obsessing. They were being driven by baser things in their heart, in their nature. And they hadn't overcome it. And, 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 and now their minds are just fixed on where they want to go. You're in trouble. Run to him. Run to him. Run to him. 
You don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back there ever. Listen, he says, the manna was like a coriander seed. It was pure, like a crystal or a bdellium. And, and he says, and then he begins to preach the cross. This is what they could do with it. It says, the people were about and gathered it, and they would grind it. Remember, the manna came from heaven. Jesus would tell us in John chapter 6, I am that bread that came from heaven. Moses didn't give you that bread. He said, my father gave you that bread in the wilderness. And it was talking about me. And what did you do with me? You crushed me. See, Israel crushed the Lord on Calvary. You crushed me. He, he was crushed for my sin. And you'll say, he, said, he, said, he says, here, look, look, look what it says real quick. It says, and the people went about gathering this manna, and they would grind it in mills. You know what a mill is? In the wilderness, it was two stones that they would put the seed between, and they grind it. Those two stones represented their broken Ten Commandments. Jesus paid the price for us breaking God's law. He was crushed between two stones. The mill, the mill. My God, what a savior. I love that song, love letters from Jesus. I mean, what a savior. All we have is this before our eyes. What you have before your eyes is the greatest savior, the greatest king, God manifested in the flesh, Emmanuel. And then they would, they would beat it, right? They would grind it in mills between two stones, broken Ten Commandments. They would beat it, where? In a mortar. What's a mortar? My grandma used to make guacamole in these stone things and she put the avocado in there and she grind it up and with the chili and all that stuff <laughs> it was good man it was good so, <laughs> but but that mortar is that it's a, it's a stone where you put something in it they would put the manna or the seed in it and then they would grind it inside what is that brother marty god became flesh and and he put his spirit the father the son the spirit all in one vessel and then they beat him by his stripes, we are healed. Every morning they were preaching the gospel to themselves, and they didn't realize it. It had no effect on them. Why? Because their mind was back in Egypt all of a sudden. Their mind was on the temporary. Their mind had forgot all that it took to pay the price to bring them out. So even though they were grinding it up and eating it, they didn't like it. They forgot what he'd done for them. Have you forgotten what he's done for you? Have I? God forbid. Puts it in a mortar. Puts it in a, in, in a vessel and grinds it. He put his spirit in the vessel of Jesus Christ and ground him to nothing for you and for me. And it says, it says finally, it says, uh, and then what? They baked it. That word bake means to roast it. The lamb was roasted. They would roast that seed. And then what would they do? They would make, they would make bread out of it. Hallelujah. If you have spiritual ears, you know what I'm telling you. 
They would make bread out of it. I have to know that he paid the price for me breaking God's law, grinded by the mill. I have to know that, that, that he's not just some ethereal, infinite eye or infinite spirit that just kind of moves through the metaphysical universe. No, he was God who overshadowed a virgin, who took upon himself the form of, of a sinful man in the flesh, deposited his coriander seed, his manna inside that mortar, that human body, and allowed it to be beaten and whipped on Calvary to shed its blood so that I could be free and he became the bread of life for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you know him like that, because he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Know me like that. Know I paid for your sin. I became a man for you so that I wouldn't destroy you. So forever there will be a man seated next to me to remind me not to kill you because <laughs> of what he did. Hallelujah. He ever liveth to make intercession for you and for me. All he says is take up your cross daily. All he had to do was go out daily and relate to him that way. He who paid the price for me breaking God's law. He who became a man for me and, and took upon me the punishment, took upon him the punishment that I deserve. And, and, and now from day to day, he becomes my bread. And if I know him like that and I love him like that and I appreciate him like that, it's fresh oil anointing on my life, purging my mind. Washing my body so I'm not doing the things I used to do or longing for the things I used to long for or thinking about the things that I used to think about. Now my heart is filled with him. And it says, and when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon the dew. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That dew was, was water, moisture. It represents the Holy Spirit. So even while you're resting, he's already preparing something for you the next day. But you see, the manna came and fell on the dew, which means that the Spirit of God, Jesus, can't even reveal himself to you unless you are having the dew of the Spirit all over your life. And he comes and rests right there. Why? Because Jesus said, he that worships God, hallelujah, must worship him in spirit, the dew, and in truth. Jesus is the truth, the manna, together. And it's there waiting for you every day, every moment of every hour as we head to the promised land. Can you see the manna? He paid a heavy price for you and me that we might have it. So partake of it, because the devil's a liar. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Well, there isn't a devil within 100 miles of here after that, my Lord. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. When I walk into this place, I felt his presence. Oh, and I knew. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 